All right, Ecclesiastes 12, we'll start in verse 9 and read down to verse 14. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 9. <clears throat> Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of the light, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh." The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it is good or evil. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> So, Lord, I need your help. Father, I wish to rightly represent what you've said. Thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for the Holy Spirit taking it and ministering it to our hearts. And we pray once again you'll speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Today after church, about 1.45, several of us will get in a truck and we'll drive to Rocky Mount, North Carolina. It's a three and a half hour drive. There in Rocky Mount, at First Baptist Church, Rocky Mount, I'll participate in the ordination of Matt Johnson, who is one of our former staff members. I'll preach the charge to Matt. And as I do, I probably will use a text from 1 Timothy. I may even call over into 2 Timothy where, where Paul writes to Timothy about the authority of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, and the infallibility of the Bible. And as I got ready for that sermon, I couldn't help but think of the paragraph in front of Hear the preacher, Hebrew, Koheleth, his name, Solomon. Here Solomon is bringing this very short book to a close, and he does so with, with a hammering statement about the Bible and about its authority. Honestly, this, this feels like something you'd find in the New Testament. This feels like something Paul wrote. This is an amazing paragraph to find in the Old Testament because it is vitally relevant for today's Christian. Now look, if we don't get this right, if we don't get this right, our minds and our hearts will be swept away in a tidal wave of moral confusion. If you and I are not solidly confident in what we believe and why we believe it, 
We will not be able to stand up to the gathering storm that is coming around us. Whether, whether it's gender confusion, whether it's critical theories like critical race theory, or the erasure of, of genuine, just objective truth. It's enough to make you worry. Thankfully, God, thankfully, God has not left us without hope. God has not left us without hope to look to or ground to stand on. He's given us his word. And, and here in this passage, what Solomon has done, Solomon has stripped away, it's what he did for 12 chapters, Solomon stripped away all the false crutches of life under the sun. And he leaves us with one thing, the inerrant word of God to stand on. You see, in this passage, when you read it, we are, we are sobered up. We are reminded that to be a Christian is to be a person of the book. Now, I'll admit, this text is strong. It is quite a text to end uh, the series on. This text is strong, and it calls for a commitment to Scripture. And because of that, I want to call you. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, I'm going to beckon you to become a person of the Bible, to master the Bible so that the Bible can master you. I want, to, I want to challenge you to pick up the mantle and grow in your knowledge of the Word and your faithfulness to it. For some of you, that means to dust it off, to pick it back up, and hear from God. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Let's just go through. And I, I want to just take what uh, Solomon has given us and in just five or six statements about the Bible, uh, things I want you to just notice. I'm going to be like a tour guide today. We're going to walk through it. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. Here's the first one. Number one, I want you to see the content of the Bible. The content. What is, what is actually in the Bible? Well, well, to see that, you've got to go to verse 9. And there in verse 9, there is an epilogue of sorts. Uh, either Koheleth the preacher or someone has given us some commentary. He closed out the body of the book. You want to come up the page into verse 8. There in verse 8 you see vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's how he started Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verse 8, that's how he ends Ecclesiastes. And now in verse 9 he stepped back and we're getting sort of a commentary. First let's take a look and see what the preacher has taught us there. Two words, one in verse 9, one in verse 10. Two words are knowledge and truth. Knowledge and truth. Look with me at the first part of verse 9. <clears throat> Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Knowledge. I would circle that word. There are two ways to think about knowledge. One is just to have information. To ha be a person of knowledge, and you know people that are 
know-it-alls. They just have knowledge. Sometimes that is useful information. But in this passage, the word knowledge has to do with facts that are going to facts that are going to help you make right decisions. Things that you need to know to actually make good and wise decisions in life. Things that you need to know to actually function as a Christian. This is not just knowledge of how the world works. Look, if what you have is knowledge of how the world works, if all you have is knowledge of how the world works, and you don't know that there's something beyond the sun, you don't understand that there is a sovereign God in control, then your life can feel like a, just a random series of things, and many of them bad, and you wonder why. That knowledge is not helpful. That kind of knowledge le leaves you depressed. As a believer, we need, to, we need to know that there is a good God that is in control, that is directing the path of our life, that he's doing all things for good for those that love him. So, so there's more going on here. You see, the Bible, think about what the Bible tells us about God. The Bible tells us how we know God. We know his holiness. We know his omnipotence. That's why we pray he's all-powerful. We know his omniscience, that he knows all things. We know his omnipresence, that he is everywhere all the time, because the Bible teaches us that. The, the Bible gives us knowledge about ourselves. You know why you can have dignity in this world? It's not because you're so good. You can have dignity in this world because you are made in the image of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible gives us knowledge about who we are, being made in the image of God. The Bible gives us knowledge about gender. You know what the Bible says about humans? That God created man and woman in his image. God created man in his image. God created woman in his image. The Bible gives us knowledge about sin. The Bible tells us that our sinful practices are abhorrent to God and deserve judgment. The Bible gives us knowledge about our own nature, that, that we not only commit sins, we actually are sinners. The Bible tells us about judgment. I mean, even in this passage, the preacher mentions judgment in the very last verse. The Bible gives us knowledge about God's love for sinners. God's mercy. The, the Bible tells us about God's grace. The Bible tells us about redemption. Uh, the Bible teaches us, this is all knowledge. The, the Bible teaches us about reconciliation, that we are reconciled to God in Christ, and therefore we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling to one another. We, we, we know the gospel. We are gospel people because the Bible tells us that. But we know that God is holy and man is a sinner and Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. We understand that to be saved, there needs to be a response. You must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. We, we know that. We didn't make that up. That comes from the Bible. The Bible gives us 
The Bible gives us knowledge on how to know God through faith in Christ. We can't know God without the Bible showing us. You can't know God by looking at the sky and the trees. You can know that there is a God, but you can't know him without the direct revelation of the Bible. It's not just knowledge, though. Notice there's another word. You'll find it down in verse 10. There's another word. It's not just knowledge that's the content of the Bible. Verse 10 tells us that there's truth there. Do you see it? The preacher sought to find words of delight. I'll come back to that in a minute. And uprightly, here's what he wrote. He wrote words of truth. Here is the word of truth. You know what that does for us? That means that, <clears throat> that we don't have a sliding scale for truth. That, that as Christians, God's Word is our standard, it is our strength, and, and, if, and as Christians, if we don't actually know the truth, then we end up believing what is easiest and sounds the nicest. We are enamored with niceness, which we should be, I mean, Christians are inherently, the impulse should be to be nice, not hateful. And that's why, it's so, that's why it's so confusing sometimes because what sounds the nicest is oftentimes not the truth. This is, this is especially true today. Especially true in the confused world of sexuality. One by one. Let's just talk, take the United States of America. One by one, all of the mainline denominations in the United States have fallen to the creed of the sexual revolutionaries. Every single one. Every single one used to have a strong statement of faith, of whether it's the Westminster Confession of Faith, they used to hold dear to that, or, or to the, the Book of Common Prayer, used to hold dear to that, or the Wesleyans holding dear. And all of the foundations have been cut. It's honestly, at Hickory Grove, it, it's why we start every service with the reading of the Bible and we, we stake our lives on the content of this Word. This is our North Star. He is our, our lighthouse. Here is the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Here is our hope and our strength. And you need to pick it up again. Start your day. Study it. Ask God to help you, Lord. Help me understand this. To, to know this book. I, I say that because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. It's the content of the Bible. But let's take another step in. Verses 9 and 10. Let's talk about the communication of the Bible, the communication of the Bible. Look how the preacher taught it and studied the scripture in verses 9 and 10. Let's read those two verses together and look at all of the adjectives that describe what he did to get ready to actually teach the Bible. Verse 9 and 10. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Here's how he did it. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs he did with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and he uprightly wrote the words of 
truth. Hear all those words? Weighing it and studying and, and arranging. Now, if you're a preacher, this is convicting because this is, the, this is what we're supposed to do if you teach the Bible at all, if you're Sunday school teacher or discipleship leader of some kind, you're, you're, you're actually taking the Bible and teaching it. It's not something you just walk in a room and wing it. I'll never, never understand preachers that, that wing it. Man, my first church, I had a guy that was in the same association with me. He would call me on Sunday mornings and ask me, what are you preaching? Could, could I have your outline? Hmm. Here the preacher says, this is what we do. You, 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 you look, get over the top, and you start thinking about it. There's meditation and deliberation and, and sometimes even frustration. How many Saturday nights I feel like I need to go to church and just turn my Bible in. That's not going to be a good sermon. The preacher says, I'm preparing to preach and teach and communicate the Bible. And, and verse 10, come down to verse 10. Verse 10 says that he... He sought to find words of delight. So, so it means that the Bible is truthfully written and beautifully recorded. It's why when we learn the 23rd Psalm, it's so beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's not just true, it's also beautiful. We can read the Bible and we can, we can even enjoy you can enjoy the, the content. Sometimes it's even fun to read. Go with me to Mount Carmel and watch Elijah make a fun, making fun of all those prophets of Baal. Uh, come with me to, into the book of Judges and look at Ehud there, that left-handed man, his encounter with that fat king Eglon. What happened when he put his sword in that man's belly? That's enjoyable. Or, or go with me uh, into verse Samuel, and there you see Samuel confronting Saul when Saul was supposed to wipe out uh, the enemy and, and all of the livestock, and yet the sheep are still alive, and Samuel is confronting him, and Saul says, I did what you told me to do, and Samuel says, then what is all that bleeding in my ear? Beautifully. Go, go read the story of Samson. Delightful. But even more than that, even more than that, the Bible is communicating the everlasting, steadfast love of God for sinners. For you and I, it is the, the hope of the gospel, the, the confidence. You know why you know that God is with you? The Bible told us that. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the confidence that, that he is with you, that you can trust this word. You want to hear from God? When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Content communication. Let me give you a third thing to consider. You'll find it in verses 10 and 11. Let's get into the inspiration of the Bible. Inspiration of the Bible. You'll see this in, really kind of in three sections. I'll go through it rather quickly. But notice it with me in verse 10 and 11 as I read it. Look how the preacher says it. So verse 10 the preacher sought to find words of delight, and he uprightly wrote words of truth. That's one way. Down in verse 11, now it gets general. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. So now they're collected sayings. And then keep looking at verse 11, and you'll see that although men wrote them, 
They are given, at the very end of verse 11, they are given by one shepherd. That's God. So the Bible, think about your Bible. The Bible is, is made up of, of law and history and wisdom and poetry and the Psalms. And then you get to the New Testament, you have the Gospels that give us the life of Jesus. And then Luke wrote the book of Acts to tell us how the church is to be run. And then Paul wrote all those letters to the churches to give us theology. Romans drops theology on us. Hebrews gives us a picture of Christ. We get to the very end and Revelation tells us this is how it's going to end. The Bible written by 40 men over 1,500 years in three different languages bound together with one message. Creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. It, it's, what, um, it's what the Apostle Peter said. First and second Peter, uh, great books to read. Second Peter, uh, you have a picture. Peter gives us a little bit of the inspiration of the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter says that knowing that this, first of all, knowing this, that there is no prophecy of Scripture comes from somebody's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inspiration. This reminds us that this book is our strength, it is our comfort it is our guide it is our aim you can trust it but you can't trust it if you don't know it those content communication we see that it's inspired divinely inspired that it is given by one shepherd by god i'll take you a little further in you can handle this here's a fourth thing <clears throat> and that is the efficacy of the Bible. Slow down and write the word efficacy. E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y. Efficacy. I'm breaking every homiletical preaching rule that there is. The preaching rules are that you're supposed to not bring words that people don't understand, speak in plain language. Well, sometimes plain language is not enough. Efficacy is, is the idea that there is power to get the intended purpose done. Not just power, but power to get the job done. The Bible's efficacy. It is efficacious. Look how the preacher describes the power of the Bible. He does it in two ways. Two ways, two words. Goads, you'll see it in verse uh, 11. Goads and nails. Let me read it to you. The words of the wise, they are like goads. That's one way. They are also, verse 11, and like nails that are firmly fixed. Goads. It is the Hebrew word dorbana. It is um, <clears throat> it's, it's nothing more than a large, long, pointed stick that would be used by a herder or a shepherd to move the herd along, to get them going in the right direction when when Saul was persecuting the church, remember Acts 5, 6, and 7? Saul is persecuting the church, and he has his Damascus Road experience, and God says to him, why are you persecuting me? And then the Lord Jesus says, 
Why, Paul or Saul, do you kick against the goads? I'm trying to get you going in the right direction. Goad. That's what this word is. Is a goad. There's another way it's described in verse 11. It um, is like nails firmly fixed to secure and establish, to make you sturdy and, and, and resolute and able to stand up to what's coming your way. Now let's take those two adjectives, goads and nails firmly fixed. Let's talk about the power, the efficacy, the power of the Bible. What does it do? What does the Bible do? The Bible gets you where you need to go, not always where you want to go. The Bible is essential for life, nails. The, the, the Bible will prod you in the right direction. The, the Bible will establish you firmly fixed. The Bible will establish you in God's will. The Bible will be truthful. The Bible will be truthful to the point of pain. It will be useful for nourishing your soul. It will be essential for you actually knowing God. The Bible is foundational for every believer. You will not grow as a Christian if you are not having Bible intake. It will secure the Bible will secure those that are struggling and anxious. It will comfort those who are in pain. The Bible will correct those that are in error. How many times have you read that and been convicted? The Bible will stabilize you in a storm. The Bible is sometimes harsh and sometimes healing, but it is always God speaking. It is a nail firmly fixed so you can hang your life on it preparing for ecclesiastes i sometimes will listen to other sermons preachers not not many people have preached through it one who did a great job i mentioned him last week is tommy nelson and tommy nelson when he talked about this passage and really talking about the bible he says really when you read the bible i don't have to wonder what things are i know what things are my problem is not with the Bible that I don't know. My problem typically is the Bible with the Bible that I do know. I'm convicted by it. I, I want to challenge you. Challenge you. <clears throat> You're disciplined enough. You've been here at the 8 o'clock service. You had to get up early to get here. I want to challenge you to develop some discipline, a discipline of Bible intake into your life. Now, look, you... You're not going to know it all in a week. You won't know it all in a, in a year. It's a, it's a marathon, a marathon. Now, I have run a few marathons, but I am not a marathon runner. They're two different things, to, to finish a marathon, to be a marathon runner. I mean, I'm, I'm so slow that little kids on tricycles eating lollipops pass me. <laughs> but a finish. You do that through discipline. Can't you carve out some time? You need to carve out some time and get a pen or a pencil in your hand and, 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 and put your forearms on either side of that Bible and get down over it and ask God to speak to you and to help you and to minister to your soul, to, to meditate and, and read over it and think about it and underline and consider it and, and digest it and, and think 
Learn to, to master the Bible so that the Bible will master you. Because it has the power to get you where you need to be. Around 1979, 1980, I became a Christian. Right around the time my grandfather died and my grandmother gave me, she's an Episcopalian, she was an Episcopalian, she's now gone to be with the Lord, she, she gave me a hardback green living Bible. Y'all remember those Bibles? It's kind of, sort of almost the Bible. And I started reading that, that hardback Bible. I was 11 years old. By the time I turned 15, I wanted something more. My mom and dad for Christmas in 1984 gave me my very first grown-up Bible. It was bonded leather. Still got it to this day, and I can go through and look at the, at the... Somebody said, after I got saved, you need to pray and read the Bible. I just started doing it. That's how you grow as a Christian, underlining things. I, three years ago when... <clears throat> Connie and I were walking through a, a particularly stressful time. I, I saw it last night as I was going over my sermon. There's this little blue Bible. It's about the size of the one that John uses. In the back, I, I, I written that this Bible carried me through. You, you, you need to read the Bible because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. <clears throat> Time's getting short, but I want to give you two more things. Number five, let's talk, let's talk about the sufficiency. Sufficiency. The sufficiency of the Bible. <clears throat> you might even just write under the word sufficiency, enough. The Bible is enough. Let me show you where I get that. You'll find it in verse 12. I used to love to take verse 12 out of context. And say that the making of many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. It's a great verse if you're a student. It's not what it means. <clears throat> the preacher says in verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond this book. Lots of books. Making of any books, there is no end. Lots of opinions. Now, I love to read, but be careful what you give yourself to. Now more than ever, honestly, sometimes the very worst thing you can do for a subject is to Google it. You're not feeling well, feeling well do not go to WebMD. You'll be planning your funeral. This is, this is one of those doctrines that, that, that we must, the sufficiency of the Bible, that it's enough. It's one of those doctrines that we must hold to tightly, especially when we think about uh, mankind, when, when we think about marriage, when we think about sexuality, when we think about mortality, when we think about gender. Look, when we talk about racial reconciliation, and Christians should be talking about that more than anybody, but when we talk about it, we talk about it from Ephesians 2 that the gospel brings the two opposing parties together and creates one new man in Christ so that brothers and sisters in Jesus, that is our primary identity. The, the, the problem with the Bible is that it gives answers 
And answers are sometimes painful. Uh, answers are hard. They, 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 they make us have to sacrifice. The, those answers from the Bible, though, are always God-honoring. Sufficiency of the Bible. I'll give you one last one. You'll find it in this passage, <clears throat> number six, and that is the purpose. The purpose. Why do we have the Bible? The purpose of the Bible. There's a summary statement in verse 13 and 14. I always appreciate a summary statement. I love Cliff's notes. I, I like to go to the end. Give me, the, just summarize it for me. Reader's Digest was a wonderful pub, uh, publication. Look at, the, look, at the, look at the summary in verse 13 and 14. Here's the end of the matter. All I've been saying is, verse 13, fear God. Keep his commandments. That's every human's responsibility. And then, and then verse 14. Because there's a day coming where every secret thought, every vile deed, nothing escapes the judge. Fear God, keep his... Do you see the order? Order is important here. Fear God, keep it. You don't keep your, His commandments and then hope to fear Him. This is not moralism, hoping that you can find God by doing right. No. You worship. That's fear. To, to see God as the greatest power worthy of your life, fear God, and when that happens, you, you live your life keeping His commandments. How you live derives from the truth of your worship. How you live comes out of what you actually believe. The, the, the knowledge of God, that's what leads to obedience. But that last verse, <clears throat> doesn't that last verse remind us of something? Reminds us that we fall short. You don't really need that to remind you, but it's there to remind you, you fall short of the glory of God is what the New Testament tells us. And verse 14 puts this final pinpoint on our need for the gospel that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a substitute, Jesus the righteous, who lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And anyone who believes that will be saved. How can I preach that? This I know because the Bible tells me so. Join me as we pray together. Father, I pray that you call people to yourself. That you take your word and comfort your people and call those that are lost to yourself. God, I pray that you make us strong. Give us spiritual health. Give us a new desire. Lord, for, for every person I'm responsible for as a pastor that's within the sound of my voice, would you bring a new conviction to know and love the Bible? Help them, Lord. Help us be a church that not only claims the infallibility of the Bible, but believes the sufficiency, the, the efficacy 
Help us this week to honor Jesus. It's in his name we pray.